I want to talk to you this morning on the subject, America in the Balance, because I believe that we are at a very strategic time in our history. I believe that we're in a balance as a nation right now, determining uh, what we will be and what we will become as we go forward should the Lord tarry. My text today is found in Psalms chapter 33 and verse 12. These words, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Will you say that much with me? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen as his own inheritance. Now, I know when you read that second part, you almost immediately think of Israel, the chosen people of God. But I want to tell you, Israel is not the only nation that God has chosen to bless. And if you know anything about the history of this nation, you know that we are a nation that has been blessed and we are blessed of Almighty God. Amen? We are a blessed nation and we thank the Lord for it. Now, I want to tell you today that there's a struggle going on for the heart of our nation. In this great land where we have the freedom of the press, we have the freedom of speech, we have freedom to vote, we have freedom to worship, there is a struggle between two powerful opposing forces in our nation today. The first of these forces is the forces of evil. And those forces today are set on destroying our nation. Their goal is an America that's in bondage. The people who actually believe that there's something wrong with our nation being blessed, that we should not be more powerful than other nations, that we should not have more. And there are those who would like to bring us down to the level of, uh, of, of other nations and other countries. Let me tell you, folks, it's not arrogant to believe that God has blessed us to be who we are today as a great nation. There's nothing wrong with being proud of being an American. There's nothing wrong with being proud of being the strongest, most powerful, and the wealthiest nation on earth if we don't forget for what purpose God has blessed us. You see, God has blessed us to be a blessing. And I will also go quickly very further to say that no nation on earth blesses other nations more or even equivalent to what America blesses the other nations of the world. When there's a disaster, when there's a catastrophe, when there's a problem, the first people on the scene are Americans with their hands out, blessing and helping in the needs of others. We give more by far in foreign aid to other nations to bless them and to help them than any other nation on earth. So God has blessed us so that we can be a blessing. And I think we ought to continue to be a blessing to other nations. Amen? That's why God has blessed us. But these forces of evil that are moving in are not only set in intent on bringing us down financially, they're bent on destroying us in every way possible. And you say, preacher, how could that possibly be? Why would anybody live in this nation and want to do harm or danger to this nation? Well, because there's evil in their heart. There's an evil force. There is the power of Satan and satanic forces. And, and, and let me tell you, Jesus told us exactly what they're after 
when he said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And those forces are at work in our nation today, stealing everywhere they can, killing every opportunity they get, and trying to destroy the very bedrock of our nation. These people are bent on taking our rights away. Uh, if you don't believe it, look what's happened in our nation when they took away the rights of the unborn. Did you know that for many years in our nation, the safest place for, an, for, for a, an infant was in its mother's womb because it was not only protected by a mother who cared and was, was, um, was committed to bring that child to term and provide to the very best of their ability, but she was, that child was also protected by a dad who had the same goals in life and protected by family members, and even protected by the laws of our land. In fact, if someone hurt a woman who was expecting a baby, they, they just held their breath hoping that that baby did not die because should that baby die or there be harm to that baby, that baby was, was treated legally and lawfully as a human being, which it is. Amen. And they were protected by the laws of the land. And so if, if, you, if you hurt uh, a, an infant in its, in its mother's womb, you were charged just as though that, that, per, that person were walking around already grown. Same laws affected. But, but we want to take that away today. And unfortunately, 60 million plus human lives have been destroyed given as an altar of sacrifice to the, to the God of selfishness in this nation. Folks, that's a, that's a shame and a disgrace, and we've got to do something about it. Thank God the tide's beginning to turn in this nation as people are realizing and as science is proving to us beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's more than just a fetus. It is, in fact, a life and it needs to be protected. But there are those who want to make sure that those rights never exist, that an unborn child has no safety net. And so today, the, the most vulnerable place for an infant is in its mother's womb. There are those who are trying to take the rights of parents away from, their, uh, from, from uh, the, the children uh, aspect of their family life. In other words, parents, they don't want them to have rights over their children. In fact, they talk about children's rights and what children can do. They don't want them to have any rights before they're born. Soon as they're born, then they want to take your rights away. There are those who, who want to take away the rights of of biblical standard of correction and discipline in raising their children. Thank God I grew up in a home where they knew what the Bible said. And by the way, the Bible does say, spare not the rod to spoil a child. And don't misinterpret that. That, does, that the Bible nowhere advocates, condones, or even makes excuses for um, mistreatment or abuse in any way of children. That's, that's not what the scripture tells us to do. But at the same time, it does give parents a right to discipline that child. My mother and dad knew 
about that Bible standard, and, and they knew how to enforce that Bible standard. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm the better for it, I can assure you of that. And, and I think there's a whole lot of other people that would be uh, blessed a whole lot if they knew something about that Bible standard of discipline. And again, I'm not advocating in any way the abuse of children, but there is a right way and there is a need sometimes. It doesn't, not, not with every child. There are children you can talk to and they will listen and they will obey. There are other children that have to be shown and have to be taught and have to, have to realize that, that uh, you mean what you say. I, I lived with my uncle and, and his uh, family for a year when I was in the seventh grade. Uh, my parents uh, put me there because of some things going on in the school system where we were that they didn't agree with. And so I stayed with my uncle and aunt for um, uh, one year. They had a great school there, and I, it was my seventh grade. And uh, they'd pick me up on weekends. I'd come home every weekend, but then go back to school that year. And, and, and that year, it, it was the most amazing thing to watch my uncle and my aunt as they dealt with my little cousin. I had, at, at the time, when I was in seventh grade, I had a little cousin who was about four or five years old, and she was, she was a pistol ball, I'm telling you. But, um, but w w when, when she would push them and push them and push them, and they had, they had given instruction and given instruction, and she had violated it and violated it to the second and third time, my uncle would sit down with her. And he would talk to her and he would explain all about how many times she had disobeyed this and how many, and this was the rules of the house and you can't do this without consequences. And, uh, and, and he, he would go over it and, and, uh, he'd do it in such a way he'd, uh, he, he would just, he, he was really good at it. And then he would explain to her why there had to be some, some consequences for her disobedience. And then he would administer the, dis the, the discipline, never, never too harsh, never, too, never, never out of line. And then after that, they would sit back down, and he would make sure that she understood why they had just done what they had done. And then he'd get the word, and they would read and pray together. But by, by the time they got done, they'd just about have me crying. Um, <laughs> but, it, but, it, but it was a effective. There is a proper way if you follow the scripture but there are those who don't want that today they, they don't want you to follow scriptural ways and in fact <clears throat> there, there are a lot of people just don't think you ought to you ought to be able to you know you might even hurt their little personality if you even speak to them too harshly my goodness alive and so you got children that that are running the institution they run in the household running the family I know, I've seen it brother I've I've seen two-year-old kids conquer parents. I mean, they, parents don't know what to do with They just wring their hands. My Lord, have mercy. Um, my daddy and mama knew what to do. I heard Aaron Wilburn say one time, what this nation needs right now is for me to put my mama in the back seat of my car and drive through town on Saturday night and do some drive-by whoopings. Now, I'm not advocating that, but I have seen some situations where I thought my mom or dad, either one, could make a difference. <laughs> but but uh, we're not into 
trying to discipline somebody else's kids. But, but, but look at this. Not only are they trying to take your rights away as a parent to even discipline your child, but they're telling you now that you don't even have a right to know what goes on at school. They're, they're telling you that they can give your children oral contraceptives at school and it's none of your business as a parent. You don't have a right to know. Now, they can't give them an aspirin without your permission. <laughs> do, do you see how mixed up we are? How, how confused this, this liberal way of, of thinking is going in our nation? Uh, n- not only that, they even tell you that your kids have a right, your daughters to have an abortion without your knowledge, much less your permission. You don't even have to know about it as, as a parent. They're, they're telling you that you have no right to know what's being taught in school. That's none of your business. They're the, they're the state. They'll train. Let me tell you something this morning, church. There is nobody on the face of this earth that has more right to say what your child is being taught and to say what your child is not allowed to be taught until you're ready for them to be taught than you do as a parent. Amen? Amen. That you, you, you have a right. But there are those who would like to take those rights away from us. There are those who would like to take the right of any kind of religious expression away from our children in, in, in school system or in, in the public affairs out there anywhere. They don't want symbols in the public square. They don't want anything in school. They don't. And that, listen, folks, we have deteriorated to this so rapidly that it absolutely astounds me. If you could visit with me one day in school when I was in the third or fourth grade, you wouldn't believe you were in the same country. When I was in the fourth grade, I remember it well. They either had devotions over the PA system that was funneled into every room or the teacher would lead or would have a student to lead in Bible reading and in prayer and in standing with your hand over your heart to pledge allegiance to the flag of this nation that people sacrificed and gave their lives to buy this freedom for us. That was the school system I grew And that was public school, not private school. You have to go to private school now to get all that. But that was in public school. We memorized scripture in public school when I was a boy. Now, I know you think I'm two or 300 years old, but I'm not. That was when I was in grammar school that, uh, that we had that. And what a blessing. I still remember scriptures that I was taught in public school when I was a boy. In fact, many times my teachers before disciplining me would, uh, would remind me of some of those scriptures, like the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, we have to explain that sometimes. One of my kids got in a fight one time at school. He said, don't worry about it, Dad. I just living by the golden rule. If he hadn't wanted me to hit him, he wouldn't have pushed me. <laughs> he was doing to others as they would have. 
So sometimes you have to explain that, you know, kind of help, help them understand it better. But it's not amazing to me at all that the public school system that I grew up in had devotions at the beginning of every day when you realize that the whole educational system of our country was founded on the Word of God. The Word of God was the first textbook used in the public school systems in America. Most of our liberal colleges today, places like Harvard and Yale, started off as Christian schools. And they have gone so far from that today. Those forces of evil that want to bring us down and push God away. Listen, folks. The scripture says, and I read it to you a while ago, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. When you honor God, you're bringing a blessing on our nation. And those people who are trying to get God out of everything, don't you realize that what they're trying to do, that they're saying, no, we don't want to be blessed. We want to be cursed. Because that's exactly what happens when evil forces take over. They kill, they steal, they destroy. And you're seeing that kind of destruction in our, in our land today. Well, thank God, I'm not in despair over this. Even though I don't like some of the trends that I'm seeing today, I will tell you this, I'm not discouraged. I'm not downhearted because we're not defeated. I read the back of the book and praise God we win and Jesus is Lord. And we sang about it a while ago about everybody bowing to the line of the tribe of Judah. Amen. Every knee's going to bow. Every tongue's going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. We win in the end. So hang in there. Glory to God. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So let's look now at the forces for good. The forces for good have a, a goal in mind as well. <clears throat> and that goal is for an America free to be what our founding fathers fought for. Have you ever wondered what happened to those 56 men who wrote their name signing the Declaration of Independence for our nation? Here's what happened to some of them. Five of them were captured by the British as traitors and were tortured before they died. Twelve of them had their homes ransacked and burned to the ground. Nine of them died from wounds from hardships of the Revolutionary War. What kind of people were these? Twenty-four of them were lawyers and jurists. Eleven of them were merchants. Nine of them were farmers with large plantations men of means, men that were well-educated. But they signed the Declaration of Independence knowing full well that if they were captured, that they would pay with their lives. And yet, listen to me this morning, folks. Our founding fathers looked into the future, and they said, buying freedom and liberty for future generations is of more value than our own lives. Boy, we owe a great debt to our forefathers, don't we? Amen. Those were men 
of integrity and men willing to sacrifice. Clara Braxton of Virginia, for example, was a wealthy planter and trader. He owned a fleet of ships that did commerce around the world. And all of his ships were destroyed by the British Navy. He sold his home and all of his properties to pay off his debts. And he died in rags. Thomas McKean was so hounded by the British that he was forced to move his family constantly. He served in Congress without pay and his family was kept in hiding. His possessions were taken from him and his poverty was his reward for his sacrifices for this country. Vandals or soldiers looted the properties of Dillery and Hall and Clymer and Walton and Gwinnett and Hayward and Rutledge and Middleton. Some of those names ought to sound off to you. Walton? Walton County is right up the road uh, less than 100 miles. Gwinnett, one of the counties in uh, the Atlanta area, uh, named after Gwinnett. This, this man right here who signed the Declaration of Independence. We, we have Georgia people who were there and signed their names and went through this kind of horrendous uh, persecution. At the Battle of Yorktown, Thomas Nelson, Jr. noted that the British General Cornwallis had taken over his mansion. He had a mansion. He was, these, listen, folks, these, these, weren't, these, were, these were men of wealth and means. But Cornwallis had taken over his house and had set up headquarters for the British Army in his house. George Washington and and the Revolutionary Army were standing facing that house. And Thomas Nelson Jr. leaned over to General George Washington and very quietly said, destroy it. He's talking about his own home. He's, he's talking about a house that he'd spent years in building. He, he put his life into it. And so they destroyed it. Rather than allowing the enemy to get by. Francis Lewis had his home and all of his properties destroyed. The enemy jailed his wife and she died within a few months. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside when she was dying. Their 13 children were scattered. They fled for their lives. His, his fields and his gristmill were all destroyed. And for more than a year, he lived in the woods and hid in caves and finally, when he was able to return home, he discovered that his wife had died and all of his children had vanished. A few weeks later, he died from exhaustion and with a broken heart. Norris and Livingston also suffered similar fates. And such are the stories and the sacrifices of the American Revolution. And listen, folks, these were not wild-eyed, rabble-rousing ruffins. These were soft-spoken men of means and education. And they had security. They had, they had everything that you could hope for in, in this country. But they sacrificed it at all so that this land could be free. And we could sit here today and worship the Lord after the dictates of our own heart. These men standing tall when all 56 of them signed the Declaration of Independence, they made this pact between themselves. And I quote it word for word. This is what they said to one another. For the support of this declaration, 
we firm with firm reliance on the protection of divine provision we mutually pledge to each other our lives our fortunes and our sacred honor that's what those 56 men pledged to each other and they lived up to their pledge my friend they lived up to it men and women have given their lives to protect and defend what our founding fathers sacrificed for us to, for us and today we honor their memory that's what memorial day is all about that's what this weekend is all about it's not just about a trip to the lake it's not just about a barbecue with the family i challenge you to please stop and remember remember remind yourself teach your children we're losing our history because we're we're not reflecting on it enough we need to remember what was paid for us today we honor them four thousand four hundred and thirty five people lost their lives in the american revolution 2260 died in the war of 18, 1812 116,516 died in World War I. 405,399 died in World War II. 36,574 died in the Korean War. Any of you old enough to remember the Korean War? We fought a war over there. We fought a war over there and lost lives by the thousands that were protecting and thank god we have a south korea free wouldn't it be wouldn't it be wonderful if god in our lifetime would free the rest of that if we, we, we could break down that barrier between north and south korea and that peninsula could be one country again and, and let me tell you south korea is a nation that that serves god largest church in the world largest christian church pentecostal church spirit-filled church largest one in the world over a million members is in seoul south korea glory to god you talking about a church they they have their church seats thirty-five thousand. they have seven services on sunday and dr cho begs his people he says please don't please church please don't come to church next sunday make leave your seat for somebody new we have other people that want to get in. They don't even get to, all the people can't even attend church on Sunday. They, they spend it in small groups all over the city, all over South Korea. And they've been praying for North Korea for a long time. If we could ever get just, a, just if we could just put, get that door about that, just get a crack in that door so we could get our foot in that door. North Korea is ready for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a harvest field there waiting to happen today. Pray that God will do it. 58,220 gave their lives in Vietnam. 383 died in Desert Storm. 6,775 died in Enduring Freedom and Iraqi Freedom. And the count goes on because we're still in conflict there today. Oh, thank God for those who have been unwilling and thank the Lord that we've been able to fight most of these wars somewhere else instead of on our own home turf. And we just praise the Lord for it. And we need, we need to support our military and encourage them and pray for them. And all of you that are here this morning, I want you to know you have a home in New Hope. We love you and appreciate you. And we thank you for what you're doing today. Amen. Let's give God praise for that. Thank the Lord.
Well, let me bring this to a close. This is what America needs to do right now. We need men of prayer and commitment. I told you, I feel like America's in the balance. I feel like that, that the forces of good and evil are, are, are both after the heart of this nation right now. And the church can make the difference and should make the difference in what happens to this world. Amen? The Bible said, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, Christ will give you right. It's high time that we awake out of our sleep. It's time for us to go to our knees and pray that God will give us another great awakening in this nation. We need people of passion and courage. We need some people that aren't afraid to stand up to the school system when they're wrong. Amen? And we need to get to the polls and vote for men and women that, that, that have our Christian values. Put them on our school board. Praise God. Let the school know. They don't all need to be negative. We need to bless them and praise them when they do good things. But we also need, when they tell us we don't have a right to tell them what they can teach our kids, we say, no, 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 no. Stop right here. We're still the parent. Amen. God didn't give our kids to the school system. God gave our kids to us. Amen. And we need, what we need in this land is revival. We need another great awakening. And I want to tell you the God that has done it for us in the past is still God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And he reigns supreme, and he can do it again if God's people who are called by God's name will humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked way. God promised that he would hear from heaven, forgive our sins, and heal our land. We need it again. Listen to this prayer from the psalmist in Psalms chapter 85, verses 6 and 7. He said, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. That was the prayer of the psalmist. And I, I want us to join in that prayer today and pray, oh, God, will you give us revival one more time? Will you, will you give us revival again? Will you, will you pour out your spirit across the width and breadth of this land and turn our hearts back to you? On March the 23rd of 1775 at the Virginia Convention of the Continental Congress, Patrick Henry stood up and he became famous with this statement. I'm going to read it. He said, is life so dear? Or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, Almighty God. I do not know what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. That was Patrick Henry. And that was the spirit of our founding fathers. That's what they all said and that's what they all believed. Give us liberty or give us death. We're willing to die for this. A few years ago, Leonard Ravenhill took that statement by Patrick Henry and turned it into a spiritual prayer. And it reads like this. He said, is life span so dear and our home comfort so engrossing as to be purchased with my unfaithfulness and dry-eyed prayerlessness? At the final bar of God shall the perishing millions accuse me of materialism quoted with a few scripture verses. Forbid it, almighty God. I do not know what course others may take, but as for me, give me revival in my soul. Give me revival in my home. 
Give me revival in my church. Give me revival in my nation. Or give me death. Now that's commitment. That's commitment. I want you to stand with me, please. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come. That's the kind of commitment we need today. If, we, if the church, the body of Christ, I'm not calling on the world, but if the church, the body of Christ, would have that kind of commitment to say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm committed. I'm going to do what I can to see that things change. I'm going, to do, I'm, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to pray for revival. I'm going to believe God for a move of his spirit. I'm going, to, I'm going to believe God to change things in my home, in my family, in my community, in my school, in my city, and in my nation. We, we need that. And I challenge you today on this Memorial Day weekend, please don't allow the sacrifice of those who have gone before us to be in vain please don't allow it to be in vain let's say we stand for what they stood for and we believe that the nation that fears God is a blessed nation and we're going to take our individual responsibility to do our part would you bow your heads with me please if you're standing here this morning you say pastor I'm, I'm not saved. I'm not sure if I died today that I'd go to heaven. But would you remember me in the closing prayer? Would you just slip up your hand and put it back down anywhere to build it? Preacher, I'm not really sure this morning that I'm ready to meet God. If you're standing here today and you'll say, Preacher, I once had a great experience with the Lord, but I'll have to admit today I'm not where I ought to be. I've allowed the things of the world, the cares of life, and other things entering in to kind of choke the seed of the word away that was preached to us last week. And, but I, I want to be remembered in this prayer. Would you just raise your hand? Yes, yes. Yes, thank you. Now, if you're standing here today, you say, Pastor, I, I have other needs. Maybe it's a health problem or maybe it's a financial problem or a family problem or problem related to your job but i i need prayer today would you slip your hand up anywhere in the building i i need prayer today a lot of requests a lot of requests listen there are people standing here today that'll be glad to pray with you and for you just to exercise their faith with you if you need somebody that speaks spanish we have a couple right here that will will converse with you in your own language but you need prayer whether you raised your hand or didn't raise your hand, but you need prayer. I want you to be the first to begin to step out and find a place to pray. Somebody, to, one of these will pray with you or you'll find a place at the altar right by yourself if you just want it, you and God. But, but just come on. If you're unsaved, come on. If you're, if you're away from God, if you're not where you ought to be with God, come on, come on. This morning's a good time to say, I make a commitment today. I'm going to take personal responsibility. I'm going to do my part to make this a better place to live, to bring revival to the nation. If, if there are others of you that would like to come for whatever reason, whatever need you may have, or if you'd just like to come and make that commitment, say, Lord, I'm here to do my part. The altar's open. God bless you. As Pastor Steve leads us a song.